We're going to jump in today to part four of a series we're calling Thy Kingdom Come. And we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. There's a part in the Lord's Prayer that probably all of you know very well where he says, Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Depends on what translation. Your kingdom come, your will be done, or thy. I thought I'd just go old school and get a little King James on you. And so... We've been looking at what does that actually mean? What does it mean when we're praying that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? And so we've been unpacking that for the last couple of weeks. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to any of those messages. Um, last week, I, I jumped into the shark-infested waters and talked about kingdom government and what does God's kingdom have to say about government and what his kingdom uh, wants to represent in that. I would encourage you to go back and watch that just as we are navigating through a, a very um, big moment as a nation. Uh, two days from now, we're going to be selecting a president, and that's a huge thing. We're going to be selecting um, senators and congressmen and even people in our own states and all that, and those are, those are big deals, and Christians should be a part of it. They should know what God has called them to do. And so I think the Bible has a lot to say about all of that, and many people kind of shy away from it, but I think God's Word has a lot to say about it. So today, though, um, we're going to kind of look at that, but look at it from a different perspective, and today, the title of today's message is called Kingdom Unity, Kingdom Unity. So how many of you, when you grew up in school, let me ask you this question, when you grew up in school, maybe elementary and high school days, uh, you did the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance, everybody in here? Okay, and if you did the Pledge of Allegiance in your class and they had a flag in the class, how many know everybody stood? And then what'd you do? You turned to the flag, which by the way, we got a flag right here. Okay, so hey, I'm gonna just bring you back to elementary days. I want everybody to stand. We're gonna turn to the flag here. Come on right now, everybody. We're gonna bring back some fifth grade memories here. All right, place your hand on your heart and you say, I pledge of the United and one nation, indivisible, liberty. Come on, give yourselves a hand. That was a good job. All right. All right, you can be seated. Now, if you went to private school like I did, then you would turn to the Christian flag. And I don't even remember what it was. Okay, so that's how good my private school education was. Okay. The one to God I did not remember. <laughs> so all of us you know, know the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know if you understand the history of the Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance was actually written in October 21st of 1892. But when it was written, it was not written with the words under God in it. I don't know if you knew that. So when we say uh, under God, that actually was inserted in 1954 by President Eisenhower. President Eisenhower presented to Congress to have under God added to the Pledge of Allegiance because he wanted to separate the United States of America versus every other nation there was in the world. To recognize that this was one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So you can thank, you can thank President Eisenhower for that. Now when you look at our country though, the United States of America under God Unfortunately, though, right now, if we look at it, I believe we are the divided states of America under man. We are not the United States under God. Our, our society has now tried to divide itself, um, and, and we're in a very division, conflict-driven 
nation. And so how do we get back to being a United States of America under God? Because everywhere you look, there's division, right? Everywhere you look. I mean, think about this. We have two presidents that are talking about uniting a country while they are fighting. <laughs> think about how crazy that is. And so I, I want us to look at what does it mean for us to be united, not just as a nation, but what does it mean for us to be united as a state, as a city? What does your home look like to be united? What does it look like for your marriage to be united? What does it mean for you to be united with Christ? A lot of things that we're going to look at today, but I, I want us to start with what I believe is the reason why we are so divided. There's a number of reasons, but I'm going to tell you one of the big ones here. If you're taking notes, um, I want you to write this one big thought down, and that is that Satan's agenda is destruction, and his strategy is division. Satan's agenda is destruction. We know in John 10 that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, so how does he still kill and destroy a marriage, a family, a nation? Well, he does it through division. He divides. If he can divide, then he knows he's got you. So we see through Scripture, Jesus talks about actually unity and talks about division. Matthew chapter 19 says it this way. Matthew 19, verse 6. Everybody, help me with this with these black letters. So what? Let no one divide. Okay, what God unites, what God brings together, let no one divide. Now, if you know this scripture, this scripture in context is speaking about when two people get married. When a husband and wife get married, what God unites. How many of you have heard this at a wedding? Anybody heard this at a wedding before? Okay, what God unites, let no one divide. We've, we've heard this at weddings. But if you read throughout Scripture, you'll know that marriage in Scripture is much more than just a husband and wife. Marriage is actually a picture of what God does with his relationship with his church. Okay, so when you see this Scripture where it talks about what God unites in husbands and wives being together, let no one divide that. I mean, that the enemy, just as much as he's trying to divide marriages, how I many know he's also trying to divide the church, and he's also trying to divide a nation? And, and this is how it begins. Watch this. If, if the enemy can divide a husband and wife, then he can divide a family. If he can divide a family, he can divide a city. If he can divide a city, he can divide the churches. If he can divide churches, he can divide a nation. Y'all see how this works? And it all starts working its way, first and foremost, though, to the family. That, this is why there is such a, a huge um, demonic attack against marriages. This is why there's such a huge demonic attack against babies in the womb. Because the enemy is going after the family. If the enemy can get the family, how do you know eventually he can get a nation? Uh, this, is how, this is how he works. So it, it all begins from here. And so Mark chapter 3 says it a different way. Jesus says it this way. If a kingdom, watch this, is what? Divided, Divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Can I just modernize it? If a nation is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If a, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. to stand. And so we see this all throughout Scripture, that division destroys. 
If there's division, the enemy knows he's got the, he's got the greatest tactics of if I can just bring division, if I can get them fighting with one another, God won't be in the middle of it. And they will eventually just self-implode because they're against one another, not uniting with one another. So this is vitally important for where we are, not only as a nation, but where we are as a church and where we are as a family. And that is why I believe Jesus prays a prayer. It's called the high priestly prayer. It is found in John 17. Now, the reason this is such an important prayer is, is a couple things. Number one, it is the longest recorded prayer that we have in all of scripture that Jesus prays. How many know if Jesus prays a prayer, we should probably read it? Three of you. Okay, all right. We're, it's going to be a long day today. Okay, so just need some feedback from you. Okay, uh, number two is not only is it the longest recorded prayer that Jesus prays, what Jesus prays for is vitally important. Two things Jesus prays for. First thing, Jesus prays for you, and he prays for me. How many of you know that's a good thing when Jesus prays for you? If anybody's going to pray for me, I want Jesus to pray for me. Your prayers are good. Jesus's are better. Just putting it out there. Number two is Jesus has a prayer request. Y'all ever been in a group with people, and you got, you know, the leader's like, we got any prayer requests? You know, everybody's holding hands all sweaty. You can't wait to stop holding hands and all that stuff. Like, please, okay, somebody, no prayer requests, please, nobody. And then you got, like, you got the, the lady that's always praying for something, praying for a toe, praying for a cat, praying for an uncle, praying for something. It's always, y'all know those people? Don't look at them, but there's those people that they always got a prayer request. I mean, every, nobody, everybody's like, can we just go eat? And, and then you got this lady that's got 27 prayer requests. Okay, so, so Jesus has a prayer request. He's got a prayer request. It's important, though, for us to know what his request is to his father. So let's catch up to it. John 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, John 17, we're going to look in verse 11. Here is the request that Jesus makes. Now watch this. Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return and be with you. So let me set it up. So this is about 24 hours before Jesus goes to the cross. We know he's, uh, you know, going to die for our sins. I mean, the greatest moment in all of history. He goes to crucifixion and then, and then three days later rises again, brings us back in a relationship with God. So he's 24 hours out and he's having the last supper. He's having that last moment with the guys. It's just kind of that, that last moment. If you've ever been with someone just on their final deathbed, that last moment, whatever they're about to say, it's pretty key. You're listening in with big ears. And so this is his last prayer. And his last prayer is, hey, Father, I'm about to come and be with you, but my disciples will remain here. And so I ask that by the power of your name, here's a couple things I want you to do. I want you to protect each one that you have given me and watch over them so that, watch, here we go, so that they will be united, united as one. Watch this. Even as we are one. Okay, so watch this. It's his last prayer, one of his last and final prayers to the Father before he goes to the cross. And his prayer is, God, I'm leaving. They're going to stay. Protect them. Be with them. And just make sure that they stick together. Make sure they stay unified. Because Jesus is the, the ultimate unifier. We talked about this last week. Matthew, 
was pro-government. Matthew was a tax collector. He loved the government because he fed off of the government and fed off of people. Simon was a part of the Zealot Party. If you know anything about the Zealot Party, the Zealot Party was anti-government. These are two of the 12 disciples that were put in the disciples, you know, all together. And here you go, pro-government, anti-government. You got these two guys in the same team now. And Jesus is like, listen, I've been here with them. I've been able to help make sure that they're good, but I'm leaving. And when I leave, I don't know what's going to hit the fan. So I just want to make sure that when I leave, that these guys still stay united together. Y'all ever like, you gone to leave and your oldest child, you looked at your oldest child, you're like, I'm leaving, you're in charge. And then like all the other siblings looked at him and were like, yeah, like that, right? So Jesus was like, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to hurry up and come because you need to, you need to be the unifier that's going on here because I know two things. These guys are young. These guys are stupid at times. These guys are selfish at times. And I know there's a real enemy out there. So as soon as I leave, they're going to be unprotected. So God protect them. God be with them. And God make sure they stay together as one. And then he goes on in verse 20. Watch this. Verse 20 says, I ask not only though for these disciples, watch this, but I also ask for all what? All those who will one day Who's that? Yeah, that's you and me. That's you and me. So God, he's saying, Father, I don't even just ask just for these disciples. God, I'm also asking for those that will in 2020 believe in me. I'm asking for them too through their message. And then he goes in in verse 21 and he says this. And I pray for them all to be joined together as, as one, even as you and I the Father are joined together as, as one. So in the first century, there was divisions and schisms. There was the Jews against the Gentiles. We know that. If you fast forward in the New Testament church, there was constant schisms between if you were Jewish and God's people. If you were not, you were Gentiles and you were the outsiders. And, and Paul comes in and tries to help them unify all this. And then there was the educated and the uneducated. There was Pharisees and non-Pharisees. And there was, uh, I mean, all these different um, groups of people that were at odds and often at conflict with one another. Now, you fast forward that to the 21st century, and now you have blacks against whites, and you have Democrat against Republican, and you have educated versus non-educated, and you have older versus younger, and there's still schisms. That, I mean, no, it's 2,000 plus years later. There's still schisms. There's still division. There's still hardships that are in between the two. And so God, in this moment, the prayer that he prays for his first century followers, Jaimeno, is the same prayer he's asking for his 21st century followers. God, make them one. Help them unite together as one. And the unity that God wants for us is a replica of the unity that he had with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, three in one, there are three distinct persons. Jesus, I mean, Jesus was not the Father, and the Father was not the Holy Spirit. There's three distinct personalities that we see in this, and he's giving us a, a, an encouragement to say, hey, just as we've been joined together as one, God help them be one. So, how do we do this? How do we stand united? How do you stand united in your marriage? How do you stand united in your family? How do you stand united in our church and in our nation? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, we've got to value diversity over uniformity. 
We've got to value diversity over uniformity. Now, notice, God is all about oneness, but he is not all about sameness. There is a very big difference between oneness and sameness. When people think of unity, often they think that everybody is the same. Everybody does the same. But how many know that is not biblical unity? Biblical unity is not sameness. It is an incredible value of diversity. By God's design from the Garden of Eden, he made man and woman. He He made both. He made two totally different people. How many know men and women are different? Have y'all noticed that yet? Okay, they're very different. How many, how many are married in here? If you're married in here, raise your hand. Okay, okay, put your hands down. How many of you married someone who's opposite than you? Raise your hand. Okay, they're, they're very opposite than you. You might be quiet, they loud. All right? You might get cold all the time, they hot all the time. It's like a big fuzzy bear. Just hold on to it it's in the winter. You might be the, the spender and they're the saver. You may be the, the person that's always like, let's just give them grace. And they're, they're the person like, spank them. <laughs> just spank them. My mama spanked me. My daddy spanked me. Let's just spank them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just very different. Just very different. My wife and I are very, very different. We did the, uh, the strengths finder. It's like a gift test where you, you look at your strengths. And her number one strength was empathy. Empathy. So she's like very empathetic when people are going through hard times. Like she's the woman you want around you if you're going through a hard time. I mean, she's like, you know, tattooing you and just telling you it's going to be amazing and praying for you and all that stuff. You know where empathy was on mine? It was the last. (laughs) The last. We got those tests back. Lindsay was like, "Mm mm-hmm, now I know. (laughs) I know. So if if our boys get hurt, they're not coming to me. They go into her. Now, if they need a decision made, they ain't going to her. They coming to me. Because I can, I, I can make decisions quickly, whereas my wife is a processor. My wife is a ponderer. So she ponders things. All right? She's always pondering. I'm, I, I, I ask questions. I'm a question asker. Uh, to the point where she feels like she's interrogation sometimes. But that's just kind of, that's, that's how I am. And so, Lindsay and I can approach the same Situation and look at it from two totally different perspectives. Why? Because we're different. I was raised differently. I had brothers and sisters. Um, she's an only child. I mean, no, we're going to look at two things totally different when it comes to parenting. Different. So we've had to learn to be on the same page. So watch this. So here's where conflict has happened in our marriage. All right? Conflict has happened in our marriage when I have tried to get her to be like me. The right way. Any 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 people feel that way? Which, okay, it's 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 not the right way. It's usually the wrong way. But but every time I've tried to get her to become more like me, we've had this. And every time she's tried to get me to become like her, we've had we've had this. And I'm gonna tell you, that's where most conflict happens in marriages. Is you have two differing opinions you have two different preferences you have two different perspectives and instead of them coming together and valuing the differences of the other person we devalue their diversity so we devalue the way that they're thinking because the way you're thinking is wrong because mine is right now listen there have been times where i've been right a couple times (laughs) there have been times where she's been wrong and we've had to humble ourselves and here's what we've learned ready 17 years of marriage just starting to learn this more and more. We cannot see eye to eye and still walk hand in hand. 
there are things where we can just come to the conclusion that we see it differently. But we are more committed to walking hand in hand than I am at winning. And if you are more committed to winning, you will lose. Okay, now take that from marriage and apply it to everything else in life. Apply it to politics, apply it to your job, apply it to your family, apply it to parenting. If you have to be the one that wins all the time, you will lose. Because the enemy, his whole goal is just to try to come put a wedge in between the two and get two people to look at something from two diabolical opposing views. And instead of there being humility to walk together, we butt heads and we fight. And if we're going to stand in unity, if your marriage is going to stand in unity, if your family is going to stand in unity, you have, to, you have to value diversity. I mean, think about the church. The church, our, just think about our local church, just our church. Our church is extremely diverse. Just, just around this, if you are under the age of 30, raise your hand. If you're under the age of 30, raise your hand, okay, all right. If you're older than 30 years old, raise your hand, okay, all right. All right, put your hands down, okay. If you were raised Catholic, raise your hand. I <laughs> look around. Uh, that's why it's called Our Savior's Church. Uh, <laughs> everybody's like, what time's Mass? A 9 and 11. Um, so, how many were raised Baptist? Okay. Uh, Presbyterian? Uh, Non-denominational? Uh, how many were not raised in church at all? Raise your hand. Okay, good. There's an incredible diversity of people that are in here. How many of you got saved before the age of 20. If you got saved before the age of 20, raise your hand. Got look around the room. Okay, if you got saved after the age of 20, raise your hand. Look at this, so many people, all different, all different. Yet again, it's incredible diversity. How many of you grew up and you have alcohol or drug abuse in your past? Raise your hand if you have it. Hey, keep your hand up, by the way. Everybody look around. Hey, look, you're not the only weird one, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. This is, should be very encouraging to you. Okay. How many are thankful for Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace and his ability to clean us up and give us freedom in that area? Okay. All right. How many of you were in prison at once? No, don't raise your hand. Okay. 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 All right. Hey, no shame in your game. Okay. So, tell us your number. So, <laughs> so watch this. So God created, God created all different races. Hey, y'all know when you get to heaven, it's not just going to be white people, right? Or not just, not just black people, or not just, not just Mexican people, or not just Chinese people. Like, how many know God created all nations, all colors, all races, all ethnicities, all cultures, all perspectives. Heaven's not even filled with just Republicans. What? I'm about, I'm, I'm stepping into some shark waters yet again. Some of y'all are going to get to heaven and be like, no, 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 no. They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. They're your, there's going to be those that are there. But hey, watch this. So he's got all races, all cultures, all personalities, all genders, all the, but all for one purpose. Because, because we have to be a, a people who value diversity, not uniformity. Your life is better when you're surrounded by people who don't just think like you, look like you, vote like you. You need to be around people who have a different perspective. And by the way, because we all have different experiences and life experiences, we're going to bring different perspectives to the table. 
But that is the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of creation. Creation is not one color or one flower. Such an incredible diversity. So, so if you do not value diversity, you will not be able to live for the kingdom. Number two is you've got to be a people who pursue God's purpose over personal preferences. You have to be willing to pursue God's purposes over personal preferences. Uh, John 17, verse 4, the very beginning of this prayer, notice Jesus gives them the reason of why they were able to stay unified, why he was able to be unified with his Father. He said, I've glorified you on earth by faithfully doing everything you told me to do. Jesus came and he submitted his purposes and his preferences to his Father's purposes. He says, God, whatever you told me to do, I did it. That's how we've been able to stay in unity. Your purposes over my purposes. We know Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, God, let this cup pass for me. But then he says, no, no, no. But, but your will, not my will, be done. Hey, that sounds like it came from a prayer. Oh, wait, it did. It came from the Lord's Prayer. How many know in the moment when he wanted to have his own personal preferences be done, he said, no, no, no. it's not my preferences. God, it's your purposes. God, whatever you want. And can I go as far as even to say that God has not called us to unity, to politics, unity of preferences, and unity of people. He's called us to unity of purpose. He's called us to a unity of purpose, that, that we would be a people that are united together. Today, the, I think the Saints are going to play. There's going to be some NFL teams that play today. And all those NFL teams have about 53 players. But if you ever look at the team, it is made up of such an incredible diversity of people. You ever noticed? You got guys that are like five, six, a buck 60. And then you got guys that are six, seven, 380. You got guys that can throw it really, really well. And you got guys that you never want them touching the ball. You got guys that can build a wall and push you down. And then you got guys that kick a ball. All right. All of these guys are different in size, different in positions, different in pur uh, purpose. Their jobs are different. But yet when they work together for one common goal line, they are a winning team. Yes. <laughs> but watch this. But conflict comes when they want to create their own goal lines. When they want to do something that's outside of what they've been given and trusted to do. When a lineman wants to be a quarterback, you've got a problem. <laughs> And when a quarterback wants to be something else, you've got a problem. And the same is true with the church, with your marriage, with our nation, that we are one nation under God, that we are people that are under, under him and under what he says. And so if we want to be in unity, we've got to learn that instead of fighting against one another for our preferences, we should start fighting with one another for his purposes. Can I just say that again? Instead of us fighting against one another for our preferences, let's start fighting with one another for his purposes. Let's be a people that are fighting for his purposes. But you notice that, that the church is the only place where you, you have mass casualties of your own people? It's the only place where we kill our own. Instead of understanding we have a common enemy and we have a common purpose and a common mission, the enemy gets us to turn our, our weapons towards one another instead of towards an enemy and towards advancing his kingdom. We turn it towards one another, and there you have a divided, broken church. 
You have a divided and broken family. You have divided and broken homes. When, when we're meant to go this way together and it starts coming inwards and at one another. So we've got to rally around the same purpose. If you've ever been to a, uh, an orchestra or been to a play of something where there was an orchestra, I don't know if you've ever been to one, but when they start, before the whole thing starts, the orchestra will, will get into the pit and they'll, they'll tune up. <laughs> sounds terrible, by the way. Especially when all of them start doing it and they all start doing different things. It sounds terrible. But then watch this. But then a, a conductor steps onto the scene, his little snazzy coat and everything, and he grabs his little stick that he's got, and he's like... And all of the attention gets turned to the conductor. And when all the eyes come to the conductor, the conductor takes all of those little... And then now he just... Dun -dun! <laughs> I love it. If I can reach a kid, I have one in this message. So, so you have this beautiful symphony that happens as all of their eyes are on this conductor and they know when to play and when not to play and when to go loud and when to go low and they're watching this conductor the whole time and I could probably say that there's a lot of reasons why we have uh, division and, and so much strife that's happening is because we've got our eyes off the conductor. The conductor is what keeps us together. The conductor is the one that tells us when to play and when not to. The conductor tells us when to speak and when to shut up. Are y'all with me? Come on. And, and when, you, when you speak when you're not supposed to, bad things happen. And when you play when you're not supposed to, the whole symphony sounds terrible. Common purpose. Common purpose. We're united around the common purpose. We're, we're in this thing Together, And the best way we unify as a church is not around a candidate, it's around a king. We, we have a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom that we are committed and we give our life to. We said this last week, we give our vote to man, but we give our hearts to God. I put my trust in God. I put my hope in God. I put my, everything goes to God. He's the one. Number three, we have to believe truth over personal opinions. Believe truth over personal opinions. John 17, 17 says it this way. Everybody help me with this, okay? Your word is truth. So make them holy by the truth. Remember, this is his prayer for us. And now I de dedicated myself to them as a holy sacrifice so that they will live as fully dedicated to God and be made holy by your, by your truth. God's goal is oneness, but God understands oneness only happens when everybody understands the truth. And when there is no truth, there is no God. You got to have the truth. We live in a world where everyone has their own opinion and everyone has their own truth. But how many know if everyone has their own truth, then everyone goes in their own direction. If everybody goes in their own direction, then everybody is not unified and everybody's not unified. You don't have God. And can I go even another step further? Just because you believe it to be true doesn't make it true. And just because you think something is not true doesn't make it not true. Your belief or acceptance of it doesn't change it whether it's true or not. It's what God says about it. You could be believing something right now that you think is true that is actually a lie. 
and you have lived your life around this life for so long that it has now become your truth and now you perpetuate your truth to everybody else but it's not the true truth I feel like this is like a tongue twister here because we have to understand God's truth is the truth. So let me, let me help you with a very easy working definition of truth. Ready? If you want to write this down, this will be really simple. Truth is God's view on any subject matter. Truth is God's view on any subject matter. There's a guy by the name of Bill Clem. He was a famous baseball umpire. He was officiating a very, very big game. It was the ninth inning, tied score, two outs, runner on third base. I mean, it was a big, big moment. Pitcher pitches it. Bill Clem is behind the, uh, the catcher. Ball comes, batter hits it. Line, drive, bounces off of the turf in the infield. Infielder scoops it up. Third base, third base runner runs his heart out. So he's running to home. Instead of getting the first base, and getting that out, he decides, I'm going to throw it home. So he throws it home to get the guy out at home. Guy slides in, runner slides in, catcher catches the ball, goes to place the tag. In the midst of all this, all this dust gets stirred up. I mean, it's just super dusty. So you got one team that's running out of the, of the dugout, safe, safe, safe. You got the other team that's running out of the government, he's out, he's out, he's out. He's got safe and out and safe and out and safe. And now Bill Clem throws his mask off, throws it on the ground. He says, shut up. <laughs> he says, there is no call that is made until I make the call. And in that moment, he makes the call as to what it is. Can I tell you, I believe right now God is looking at everything that's happening in our nation. This is this, and this is that, and this is this, and this and that, and God is going, shut up! It's nothing until I make the call. I've got to make the call. I've got to be the person that has the final say-so of what happens in this situation. And how many know we have a God who does make the final say-so, whether you believe it or not? Whether it's your truth or not, truth is truth. Hey, I could not believe in gravity all day long, but if I jump off this stage, I'm going down. Are, are y'all with me today? I'm going down. Or I could be like, well, it don't exist. I promise you, it don't exist. Okay, well, jump. Truth is truth no matter what you say. And when it comes to the end of the day, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever a decision that you need to make, whatever you're trying to figure out, I'm just here today to tell you that you cannot make your own truth. God is truth, and what he says is the truth. And I'm just, I'm gonna just tell you very, I love you before I say this. God is not going to rewrite the Bible for you. So you need to stop changing scripture when it's written to change you. Oh, the Bible just needs to catch up with the times. No, maybe you need to catch up with the Bible. Because God's word is the truth and we will be a church. Listen, we will be a church that stands on his truth, even if it means we are unpopular. Which, by the way, often it will. Because it'll go against everything that culture will tell you. It'll go against everything. And listen, politicians can try to get you to vote for it all day long, but if it's wrong, it's wrong. There is truth that is written in God's word on how he tells us to live our lives, our relationships, our relationship with God, what we're supposed to speak, how we're supposed to live. 
And I don't get to go like I'm going to Golden Corral and pick what I want out of it. What suits my life and what suits my needs. How many know you can cherry pick verses all day long to suit whatever you want it to say? But how many know you either get the full word of God or you get no word of God at all? God has called us and he's called you to live by his truth. Not because he's trying to withhold something from you, but because he's got the best for you. How many know our creator knows what we need? He knows what we need. We, we live by this. That John 8, 32 says it this way. You will know the truth, and the truth, it will do what? It'll set you free. So this is what it tells me. Ready? Truth exists, okay? It also tells me that I can know it, and then it also tells me that if I know it, I get set free. So ready? Simple. If there's an area of your life that you are bound in right now that you want broken, it is because you're believing a lie and not the truth. And as soon as you start believing the truth, it'll break the thing that's been binding you for years. So that's why we come. Hopefully on Sundays when you come, you come to hear truth. You don't come to hear my opinion. My opinion doesn't change lives. But God's word does. And God's word can set you free. This is the truth of what we know. Hey, if you've ever um, ridden on an airplane, I want you to imagine going onto an airplane, you step into the plane, cockpit's right there, you know, you're about to take your right to go to your seat, and the pilot says, hey, hey, real quick, can you come here? Yeah, right, you, you think it's an honor to be invited into the cockpit. You come into the cockpit, and pilot sits down, and introduces himself, and introduces yourself, him to the team, and he says, Hey, we were just going to ask you real quick. If we press this button, do you think we would take off? Mm, I, I don't know. I mean, no, as soon as he would ask that question, I'm trying to find a different flight. Because I, I don't want to put my life in the hands of anybody that is uncertain. Never seen that, uh, that I think it's an AT&T commercial where the doctor walks in, he's like, you nervous? And the guy was like, yep. And he was like, yep, me too. <laughs> and then he walked out and he's, uh, what, what did he say? He walked out and he says, uh, uh, don't worry about it, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then the slogan comes, just okay is not okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, so, so I want you to imagine, watch this. Your life and my life is way too important for us to be guessing at this. So watch this. Truth, God's truth, takes the guesswork out of life. Man, what do we do in this situation? Man, we just go to God's book. We just go to God's book and we, we get God's presence and we get God's wisdom and we get around God's people so God's people can help give us perspective and, and we, we, we get around truth. I don't, I don't want to live my life one day thinking truth is truth when it's actually a lie. God, surround me with people who will stab me in the front and not stab me in the back. Are y'all with me today? Someone who will look at me and tell me the truth. Tell me the truth because they love me too much. People who will not tell you the truth are people who don't love you. They love them. So you want to be around people. You want to be united? You want to know how you walk united? You get around people who are willing to tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. That's why I'm married. <laughs> My wife is very good at it. But you know what? 
It helps me be a better husband. Helps me be a better father. Helps me be a better man. Get around people that can help pursue in truth. Number four, last one, is to choose love, uh, to love others instead of degrading others. If we're going to stand in unity, we've got to be a people who love others, not degrade others. John 13, 34, this is right in the Last Supper, just, man, 24 hours or so before he goes to the cross and he makes this statement and Jesus says, so now guys, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, just as I have and you should. So watch this, so he says, love each other. Now I'm gonna show you how to do it. Love them the way that I've loved you. Okay, now I'm gonna tell you again. Now go love people. It says it three times in this verse. Love, love, love. And you know the thing that I love the most about God is that he knows the worst parts about me and still loves me the most. Amen, Come on, how many thankful that you got a God who knows all about you but loves you the most? He loves you the most. And I'm so grateful that I have a God who, who loved me at my worst, who loves me when I fall, who loves me when I failed, who's, you know what I love about my wife? She knows the worst parts about me and still chooses to love me. Because she's been loved by God, she can love me like God loves me. It's not until you receive this kind of love that you can give this kind of love. But once you receive this love, come on, how many know you are responsible to give that same love that you received yourself? And so God, through Jesus, is saying, guys, I'm going to give you a new commandment. They had over 600 commands. They didn't need another commandment. But he says, I'm going to give you a command, and this is going to be real simple. Ready? Just love people. How are you going to stay together? How are you going to stay unified? Just love each other. You going to get each other's nerves? You better believe it. You going to get offended with each other? Yep. But you're just going to love. Just love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love Love doesn't give up. Love doesn't fail. Love doesn't boast. Love's not about self. Love never, I mean, all this that we read in 1 Corinthians, he tells us. And he noticed he said it's not a new suggestion. He said it's a new commandment. And the only time Jesus has to make commandments is when he knows that it's something hard for us to do. Because right. if it's just a suggestion, he'd know that you could do it. But because it's a commandment, how many know you're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to really do this? Yeah. How many just need the Holy Spirit to love some people? Don't look at them again. I'm telling you, don't do that. But you just need the Holy Spirit to help you. All right. So watch this. It's easy to love people who look like me, act like me, vote like me. It's real love to love those who hate you, despise you, and criticize you. You know, on Tuesday, half of our nation's going to be excited. And half of our nation... It's going to be an uproar. It's the truth. And the million dollar question is how are we, as followers of Christ, as the church, going to act if it doesn't go the way you want it to? How are we going to act when people act a fool? Because it's coming. And how are you going to respond? And how you respond in that moment will reveal more about you than it does about them. 
And I'm praying. I'm praying. I've been praying for these last couple of months leading up to this because I know this is so divisive. And I've been praying, God, the world's going to do what the world does and they're going to be vicious like they always are. But God, may your church not be that way. May people who name the name of Christ not be that way because if they are, watch what Jesus says. Why unity is so important to him? This is why he says it. Put up that last verse, the, um, John 17, 21. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. No, the John 17 one, not the John 13 one. There we go. I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such a perfect unity that the world will know. They all know who the world is, right? Lost, broken, hurting people. Jesus says this, you know what I pray? You know why I pray so much for unity for the, my disciples and for those who one day be my disciples? I pray it because the world, when they see this unity, they're going to know. They're going to know that you sent me and, and, and that you love them as much as you love me. He goes in and he says this, because I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be, come on, we're going we're gonna to finish strong, so that they may be, as we are, and I pray that they will all be just as you and I are, as you are in me. You feel like a parent that's repeating yourself? God says, God, I pray. I, Father, help them be one. Help them be one. Help them be one. There's going to be so much of the enemy that's going to try to divide. Help them be one. Help them be one. Marriages are going to fall apart in 2020. God, help them be one. Help them be one. Families are going to have dissension. God, help them be one. Because when their marriage is one and their family is one and their church is one, then a broken, hurting world sees, I need what they got. And I don't know if that's correct English or not, but I, I pray. I pray this last verse on you, Psalms 133. Psalms 133 says it this way. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there, the Lord has what? Commands the blessing. This is one of the only places in Scripture that we know that God commands a blessing. He commands other things. He commanded us to love one another. This is one of the only places that we know in Scripture that God says, when there is unity that I desire in my people, I tell heaven, bless them. Bless them. Anybody in here want heaven's blessings today? I want it. And maybe, just maybe, the reason that you are battling so much inner turmoil battling so much in your marriage and your relationships is because there's not unity and in order for there to be unity there has to be humility we've got to value diversity we've got to pursue God's truth and we've got to be a people that pursue his purposes but we've got to choose to love and I put choose to love because love is a choice it's not a, it's not a feeling well, I didn't feel loving Oh, well, but we choose it. Not every day I wake up, do, do I feel like loving people well? 
but I choose it because God chose me. And so God, today, in this place, I pray that there would be unity in homes, in families, in marriages. Let it start with us first and foremost because where there's unity, you command a blessing. There's those that are in this room right now and you know that there's not unity in your home. Maybe there's not unity between you and your spouse. Or maybe there's not unity going on with you and your family or your children. And God wants to start there first and foremost. Before he can do anything in a church or in a nation, it has to first start in our homes. And that's my prayer right now is just that God would, God would give you humility, that you would clothe yourself in humility. Some of you need to repent. You need to repent to a, to a spouse or maybe to a child. You need to humble yourself. And I, I pray that God would give you the boldness to do that. But I know that, that where there's humility, the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God, I pray that today that, that this service and and what happens as the repercussions to what people heard today from your word, that it would reverberate grace in this community, grace in homes, grace in businesses, and grace in our city and our churches. And God, just may your grace be upon us, that you could command a blessing. We want to walk in your blessings, but we know we've got to walk in your ways to receive that. So God, may we be a people who do that. If you're here in this room and you've never submitted to Christ being the, the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Now notice I didn't say you haven't been to church. There's a lot of people who've gone to church but still haven't submitted their hearts and their lives to Jesus. And you say, Pastor Josh, I know, I, I look at some of the stuff that's going on in my life and I realize that it's a result of me doing my own thing. If you're here, say today, I want to, I want to just give my life, I want to give everything I have to him. I want to surrender everything to his lordship. I, I want to pray for you, whether you're watching online or you're here in this room. If that's you, just right there where you are, I want you to just pray this right alongside with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, today I surrender my life into your hands. You be the king. I repent of my sins and I turn from my ways and I put you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Today, I recognize that only you can make me right with God. Thank you for sending Jesus to not only pay for my sins, but to give me a relationship with the Father and a purpose on earth. Today, I give you everything. I follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, OSC family.